Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down directing for TV movies with guest Prathna Mohan. Before we dive in, though, remember that we release bonus content for each episode over on patreon.com slash breakingoutpod if you want to support us and get yourself even more info and resources. But enough about that. Prathna, please introduce yourself. Welcome, welcome. Hey, thank you, guys. Hi, Christina. Hi, Brie. Um, and hi, anyone who's listening. Uh, my name is Pratna Mohan. I am a writer-director, originally from the south of India, Chennai, the uh, fourth largest city in India. And I came to the U.S. in 2006 to go to grad school. I went to Chapman, and I've been out here um, fighting the good fight ever since. <laughs> um, I have since school directed three features, a couple of shorts. Uh, written some projects, and I also have a full-time day job as a, a in, in, at a film school where I'm a administrator at a film school. New York Film Academy, right? That is right. Yes. So that's that's a little bit about myself. Well, thank you so much for for joining us. So w- this is for our four higher series, as everyone knows. I think this is the first episode of our four higher series. We're talking to a variety of people who work for hire in a variety of positions in Hollywood. And in your case, we wanted to talk about directing features and specifically directing for TV features. So we wanted to talk to you because obviously you moved from indie to traditional in a way that I think a lot of our listeners and certainly Christina and I want to follow in the footsteps of. Um, so if you could talk to us a little bit about your journey from your, your feature, The Miseducation of been due and moving from that to for higher work in Hollywood, that would be amazing. Can you talk us through like the timeline for that? How did that come about? How did you go from indie to mainstream in, in the first place? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is the goal, I think, for all directors, writers, uh, whatever area of specialty you're in, you know, you want to translate your skills from making content and movies and projects for yourself and then getting paid to do it, which Strangely enough, is really hard as a director, mm-hmm. um, you know, and not strange. It's just very hard. Uh, it shouldn't be as hard as it really is. So I made, uh, I directed The Miseducation of Bindu and co-wrote it with Kate Tuxford, who's amazing, who was a friend of mine from grad school. Uh, and we actually crowdfunded part of the film's budget on Seed and Spark. And that's how I got to know Christina, yeah. uh, who was a great resource for us at the time. And for, you know, as a director, I've been saying this ever since, the best way to really get your foot in the door, especially if you want to start off as like made for TV movies, you have to make your first feature. That's really huge. Um, I would say that it really changed things for me after that. Of course, it's not just that. You can have talent and work your butt off, but you also have to be at the right place at the t- right time. I mean, every single person's career in this industry has some level of that, you know, or it's like mm-hmm. nepotism, right? It's one or the other, right. um, sure. or it's all of it combined. <laughs> and for me, you know, having come from India, I'm the only person in my family that lives in the U.S. I really didn't have any connections in the industry. I didn't really know anybody. So I really kind of had to figure it out on my own. And because I didn't have family, I didn't have the opportunity to like couch surf or like, you know, hang out, live with parents until I got on my feet, like, I just had to find a job. I was an international student. I graduated when the markets crashed. So the first crazy 
thing that happened. And now, of course, we have coronavirus is a whole other situation. But that was the year I graduated. I graduated from film school and like everything crashed and no one was hiring anybody. And that was the time that, you know, I decided with Kay that we would uh, make the short that we had done in grad school, which was did really well in festivals into a feature. You know, we were like, hey, there's no high school movies about young like girls. Let's go do that. You know, and it did well. It was a semi-fan with the Nichols and all kinds of things happened with it. But again, not knowing how the industry works and not real, you know, in film school, you're the real focus is you're taught how to make stuff. Mm hmm but how to get to make it and what to do with it afterwards is like a huge gap, you know, like they just don't teach you that stuff, you yeah. know, because the model is still built on like, you're going to finish film school and then you're going to just be plucked out from, you know, anonymity and then become this huge filmmaker. Like that's happened to very few people that I went to school with. And those few people were like exceptional or, you know, I don't know what their background was, but it happens. It happens, but it doesn't happen to everybody, you know? And, even while we made the miseducation of Bindu, like we really knew how to write scripts. And then the minute we actually figure out the financing and all that in the first day on set, we knew how to make it. Like it, that was not a problem. The movie got made. It's, you know, it's decent. You know, people like it. It did well. I liked it. You know, all that. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thanks, Christina. You know, all that kind of stuff. But once we made it, it was again, what do you do with this? You know, none of us really know the distribution landscape. And we also graduated in a time when Netflix was, just a an idea you know it had just started mm -hmm. it was still like heavily dvd you know sort of format streamers were barely a thing and you know we were not really being taught like what was going to happen Every, everything was still in like a speculative phase so a lot of it we had to just figure out on our own which you know whatever i guess that's how it goes you know so yeah so for after that you know the it you know so backtracking a little bit we wrote The Miseducation of Bindu, and then Cedar Spark had their hometown heroes competition sort of lab-like thing that they did. And we were one of the two uh, grand prize winners for the year, uh, the first iteration of the, the contest. And we got to get have the Duplass Brothers executive produced, but essentially they came on as mentors for mm -hmm. us. And that was a game changer because, again, having gone to film school, we really understood the, the value that they would bring to us. And it was not money. Like, that's not what we wanted. We wanted, one, their name on our project, which already opens up so many doors, sure. but also just their expertise, you know, and they really are so good at making movies that are really good, but also not breaking the bank, you know? Mm -hmm. And they really came in. It was really Mark Duplass. We didn't really get to communicate a lot with Jay Duplass, but it was really Mark Duplass and he was really sort of instrumental also in us making the film a one-day movie, which was not originally the script. It was a much more longer film spread over the better part of a semester, more development of like relationships. All of that had to get really condensed and try to find the best way to tell the story and things like that. So all of that was fascinating. It was like going to school again. And it was pretty wild experience to get to make it. And it all started with a tweet. You know, we were driving to work and I saw the tweet and I texted Kate and Ed, who is my husband, but also came in as the producer because he was sick of seeing us waiting to make this movie. He was just like, whatever, let's just do it. And we were all just like, shall we do this? And that's how it started. It started one day over some texts in a car. And then a year from then, we were in Indiana filming the movie. And we learned everything, like how to raise money, how to crowdfund, which is hands down the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. You know, and I have a five-year-old and I still would say this is, this is harder. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, I think it really taught us a lot of things about what it really takes to make a film. And then after we made the movie, really a lot of my other projects have come from that was Marvista bought The Miseducation of Bindu. And Marvista is basically like a mini studio. They put out, I think... I don't remember the I don't know the exact number, but I want to say it's like upwards of 200 movies a year. When they bought the Miseducation of Bindu, they had a movie soon thereafter that was they were looking for a director, and it was supposed to go into production at the start of the pandemic, and then it got obviously you know the world shut down. Sure. And then they tried to make it go a couple of times, and the original director had to drop out. And they were like, "Hey, we have a movie. We need a director. You want to direct this?" And I was like, "You're gonna hire me to direct something? Yes. I don't even care what it is. Let's do this." You know. <laughs> uh-huh. And they were like, "It's a it's a medical drama." I was like, "To a genre of filmmaking I know nothing about. Let's do that." You know. <laughs> so they sent me a script, and then about three weeks later, I was in Arkansas and I was shooting that movie. Oh wow. my gosh! Yeah, it was so quick. So I read the script so fast because they had already casted and done some work previously so I inherited the cast and the director that was that was put in place before me who bowed out of the project had done some really great made some really great choices so in many ways like I didn't inherit any kind of disaster or anything Mm. like she did a wonderful job so you know the casting that she had or you know that they had gone through all of that was pretty great I had to make some choices that were more locally based but yeah that really was very interesting and one of the reasons why I wanted to do that was one it was a genre I was not knew nothing about mm-hmm. it was uh, uh it was drama straight like tearjerker like mm-hmm. that is not my speed like I like <laughs> funny like that's my jam and I was like okay let's do this mm-hmm. um and I knew nobody like I didn't know a soul which was also something very important for me because I worked with the same people and I want to I also wanted to be like can I just be thrown into a situation? Am I going to fail or am I going to make it happen? You know, right. and basically all the st- cards were stacked against me. It was COVID, peak COVID. It was right before a U.S. election. I was in Arkansas, um, <laughs> knew nobody. It was just wild. I was just like, what am I doing? You know, it was a 96 page, 98 page script and we had 12 days. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. It was just like, I really started to see, I was like, okay, here are like 80 things I can't do. Because of COVID, restrictions, budget, whatever, mm-hmm. right? And we had, to, we had to build a hospital, all kinds of stuff, right? And in some ways, it really felt like going back to film school, right? Like where they give you your box and they're mm-hmm. like, go make something, right? And mm-hmm. that was very challenging to me and very interesting. And weirdly enough, in spite of it being as hard as it was, it was such a wonderful welcome break from having been stuck indoors for like, you know, the last several months and worrying about like taking a deep breath, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I bet. It was just, yeah, it was just like amazing to like be creative and do something that I never had the opportunity to do in a way like that. You know, I've always like nurtured the project for years and cried and begged and wept and everything to bring it to life. And here I was just like, pick, drop, direct out, you know? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. what is this? This is fabulous. Sign me up one more time, you know? And it was just like, you mean that's all? Like, I don't have to worry, but I can just tell you what I want and then you'll either tell me if I can have it or no. And if it's mm-hmm. yes, you'll figure it out. I don't have to do nothing. Sweet. <laughs> so that was amazing. Like, that was really, really awesome. But it was hard, you know? It wasn't easy. You know, there's challenges working with people that you don't know and trying to communicate and get people on the same page. Everybody there has worked on the same thing a million times and they have their own thoughts and feelings about 
you know, working with new people or working with female directors or whatever the case might be. And really, mm-hmm. you don't really have a lot of runway to like get everybody on. Like you just need to get in there and get the job done and get everybody on the same page like that, you know. So I wanted to see if I can do that. And it wasn't terrible. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was nice enough that I was more than happy to do it again, in spite of like the conditions being a little crazy. Um, sure. So that that happened. Marvester was very happy with it. Uh, that ended up on Lifetime, and it was like uh, Lifetime's movie of the month or something like that, which I was like, "What? Yeah, this is awesome!" That's cool. And it was really funny because I think Lifetime movies have like a very, like a really big uh, fan club, like on Twitter, that like tweet out all their like live tweet the movies, which I didn't even know. Just so funny and so awesome to see them. They're like, "No, don't do it! Don't go here! Don't open the door!" Whatever it was. <laughs> so that was fun. That was like a cool little experience. And then Marvester again had this other Christmas movie that they offered me um I want to say just as this one ended so the March March of last year okay yeah March 2021 2021 I was like what year is it (laughs) um and again I know again you know they're like we have a Christmas movie it's bigger budget you know we have different ideas with it not tv are you interested I was like heck yeah I'm interested also but did you say Christmas movie I was like how do you think of me for a Christmas movie but then I read it and I was like okay this is an R-rated Christmas movie sign me up (laughs) not that there's anything wrong with Christmas movies they're fantastic and wholesome and wonderful but I don't know if I'm that person you know (laughs) but this was very funny and you know again I read the script and then the Three weeks later, three or four weeks later, I was in Chicago for prep. Like, that's how fast it goes. And I worked with an amazing production crew in Chicago. Again, they were like family, right? They do everything together. And then, like, here's this, like, random woman showing up. But it's the same thing, like, getting everybody on board and, you know, making sure, you know, it all. And those guys are all horror people. And they were like, oh, comedy, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's going to be fun, guys. Come on, let's do this, you know? But it was really fun and, and much harder movie, much bigger. We had 11 locations, bigger talent, uh, more budget. But again, never what you need, right? It's sure. never enough, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, being really creative about how to get the movie done again, 16 days, which is crazy. And that movie, did, yeah, that movie again, you know, it got picked up by Amazon and Lionsgate. So that again, opened up more doors. Really quickly before we dig into the specifics of these projects and, and moving from indie to, to them, how did you originally get connected to Marvista? Was it like, did they find you through a festival? Did you submit to them? Did somebody like recommend you or introduce you? How, how did you initially like connect with them to get distribution? That is such a good question. So... When so I'm uh, repped at APA, okay. and uh, again that came through the misinterpretation of Bindu. Yeah, yeah. When did that I happen? Was, okay. I didn't, yeah, I have. No, I was like, I'm never getting rep. Like, I didn't even. I wasn't even a, attempting to find representation. Like that never was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, again, being at the right place at the right time. My husband's coworker, his. This is such a random story, but this is how it goes, right? It's so so strange. My husband's coworker's brother is an agent at APA. And my, and so my husband's coworker happened to be hanging out with his brother and mentioned the miseducation of Bindu as like, Hey, my coworker's wife is doing this. And he was like, that sounds cool. I want to meet her. Uh, And then that's how I met him. And they really enjoyed meeting me, but then they were like, okay, send us your script. And then they read the script and they're like, okay, you can write. And your ideas are good. And we like what she had to say. I think we're interested. I was like, what? Like is that, was this before you got into production? Was this after it was wrapped? It was. We were. It was. Uh, I think it was actually after we had finished production of the movie. 
So they got to okay. see what I did and all of that. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay. They were like, we met you and then your work backed it up. So yeah, we want to represent you. And I was like, for real? <laughs> That's cool. Um, <laughs> and that was like a couple of years ago, right? So that happened. Sure. And and obviously, like after being repped by them, that also helps because they put me up a project, a lot of which I've never gotten, that are big projects, you know, like that I'm in the room with some pretty big time execs at like Netflix or like Paramount or wherever. And I get pretty far up, like, I, you know, but I haven't landed some of them yet. For writing or directing? Re- for directing. Okay. Uh, sorry. Yeah. For directing. And it's a great experience because you have to learn how to make decks and pitch all of these skills. Like I have to just, it's all self-taught, right? Like you didn't actually learn the stuff. Mm-hmm. And then being in the room and being able to like talk to these folks and going to generals and all this kind of stuff. Like that's all been awesome and exciting. And then, you know, sending them stuff that you're working on. So that's all, that's all been really great. And being exposed to all of that because of your rep, whoever your reps are, that's all fantastic. And it's been really helpful. But with Mar Vista, so when they sent the movie, uh, the movie out to a bunch of distributors, they sent us the list and then Mar Vista was one of them. And I have a really good friend at Mar Vista who is there, who is Hannah Pilmerin who I've known as a big deal at Marvista and we're really good friends. Our children are really, really close and we've holidayed together and all of this kind of stuff. And her husband is a coworker of ours, but we've never crossed the let's work together thing. Like we've never done it. She's always, she's always like, I don't, you know, I'm here if you ever need me. And I'm always like, I can't breach that line. Like we're buddies, like we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. But one day she, like years ago, she told me direct a feature and come to me, like, I'll give you movies to direct. And I was just like, yeah, people always say that. They don't really mean it, you know? People, The number of people who've told me stuff like that, and, you know, you email them, and they're like, who this, you know? Um, <laughs> so I was like, and I never wanted to breach that line with her. So we kept this world completely separate. Like, I talked about my childhood and tribulations, and she would always listen with, like, a very patient sort of, you know, year. And then she would tell me about all the things they were doing. And I was like, that's cool, you know, awesome. But, you know, we were friends outside of all of this, you know. Sure. And so when I heard that my team was sending Bindu to Mar Vista, I just mentioned it to her. And then we were actually going to a trip to Big Bear. And she was like, she was going to come to our premiere at LA, Indian LA Festival. But then it all shut down because of COVID. So she said, I'm dying to see you. Just bring it. We'll watch it together. And I was like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> and then she watched it. And she was just like, I don't understand. Why are you not working all the time? This is insane. <laughs> we're buying this movie and that was it i was like what <laughs> like, no, we gotta make this happen what is it i'm gonna yeah, i'm gonna talk to my friend and i was like this is like the craziest thing i've ever heard i was just like is this for real she's like i don't know why are you not working all the time this is nuts you gotta be working on-. i was like okay hannah <laughs> so in many ways like i completely like attribute like my all the stuff that i've done since you know to her pushing and really supporting me and you know she's one and she's not just done that for me like she's like she's that kind of a person she's given so many young directors their first shot and she's really big on like supporting young women filmmakers Mm. Uh, so she's awesome so you know that's a huge reason why which is why I really always want to make Hannah proud so when she gave me the next much bigger movie you know she was like okay now show us what you can do next you know and that's that's sort of how the other projects at Marvista have happened for me. Yeah. Very cool. So your indie work is really your your door opener. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say this all the time. If you want to be a director, make your first feature. That's huge. You know, I think it helps a lot. 
again, I don't know if it's the only way, but it definitely helped for me. You know, for a long time, I was pushing at all these doors, but then that and then also getting representation helps because it puts you, you know. But again, it's some of it is talent. Some of it is, are you the, did somebody, somebody talk to someone about you, you know? Sometimes <laughs> it's just that, you know? You never know. And, you know, I've been at this for a long time. I'm not young by any means, you know? But I'm grateful for, you know, even the small things that, are going in going my way once in a while <laughs> right so I'm wondering about this relationship you have with them now because you're also a writer right you haven't mm-hmm. just written been you've written other things do you feel yeah. that you could bring a script to them that you want to yeah. direct as well 100% I think if I had a script that was in their wheelhouse which I think is very important mm. Um, I can definitely take it to, so it's not just Hannah. So now I've worked with other producers there. You know, there's Larry, there's Neil, you know, there's Marianne. There are all these people who sort of I've worked with and I could take a project that is within like sort of what they, their slate of films. And I think that at least give it a, they'll at least let me pitch it, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think the the things that I tend to write are still very indie. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you define that? Probably not going to make a whole lot of money. Sure. <laughs> so more, a little nicher. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at least that's that is how I define it to myself because I like to be realistic. Mm-hmm. But I think I tend to write things that are more like stories about people that are not often seen on screen, mm-hmm. that are not necessarily going to capture a big talent you know, and gazillion dollars. Unfortunately, with Hollywood, you got to spend money to make money or lose a lot of money, but they're cool with spending a decent amount of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even while trying to raise money, it was always very interesting to me that a lot of investors turned us down because we were raising too little. Mm. I heard that recently. Yeah, and I was like, isn't that good for you? Like, if we bomb, you're not going to lose that much. And they're like, there's not enough in it for us. And I was like, yay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't understand you guys, but I guess that's what rich people do. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what this is about, but definitely uh, an eye-opening experience. But yeah, the next film that I want, you know, that I'm hoping we can get done is not, it's definitely a bigger budget, but it's still a little bit more indie at heart, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't know if it has necessarily a big commercial appeal, but I think it's a fun movie and hopefully we get to make it the way we want to get to make it is it something that you would go directly to investors about this time would you try crowdfunding again yeah <laughs> a lot of, a lot of vehement head shaking on this podcast right now which is fair yeah. all of us have worked in crowdfunding or have done crowdfunding and all of us know how hard that is especially if you want to raise I, more than like ten thousand dollars yes i think everybody should crowdfund once but I, I cannot do that again. I just don't have it in me. Like, I, it broke me. It yeah. broke me. And we, you know, we crowded a decent amount of money. I don't know if I could ever do that again. Like, ever. Well, and I feel like diminishing returns for the bigger and bigger projects, unless you happen to have, like, a mega celebrity, it's probably yeah. tough to, yeah, to go beyond your existing budget yeah, range. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think there are certain things that we were told in film school, if you're going to make your movie, you got to have a star, you know, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So we kind of mm-hmm. knew all that. And then we got paired up with the Duplass brothers. And then they were like, plot twist, don't get a star, just get people who want to be in your movie, because you're making your movie for nothing. So at least get people who want to be in it. <laughs> and we were like, I don't know what this means, but it's making me very confused, you know, but we mm-hmm. just went with it. 
we were lucky enough to have David Arquette come on board and he was just a, a gem of a human being who really just, I think, did it out of the love of his heart. I don't know. Like he had, mm-hmm. we put him up in a nice place and gave him a lot of hugs, you know, but that's about <laughs> it. You know, super nice person. He really liked the script, which I think goes a long way. And having the Duplass brothers attached, you know, right? Sure. Um, that opens up doors. And I think also the caliber of actors we got was because of that, you know, it wasn't just looked at as like some random project that, you know, oh, cool, sounds interesting, bye, you know. People mm-hmm. were willing to like take a risk on it. And we were like, I mean, Megan Suri was in our movie. You know, we gave her, we she had her first big role in our movie and look at her today. Yeah. She's kicking ass. So since we're kind of talking about money, I kind of wanted to transition into like, what does it look like to get paid to like for higher directing, especially since in your cases, you were seems like you were coming on a little late for both of the projects you've done so far. So is it like you're on contract and you get an hourly, uh, you know, through the end of production? Like, do you get paid for the pre-production that you did for three weeks? It, like what what does that even look like? Yeah, so it's definitely a contract. Mm-hmm. And it is broken up from pre-production all the way through post until like you turn in your director's cut. Okay. Uh, I didn't have final cut me the project. I don't know. I don't think I will even in my next one. But that's okay. We'll get there slowly. Mm-hmm. And they pay you based on certain number of tasks completed, essentially. And then in pre-production, you get like a per diem. You know, especially if you're out of state. And then, of course, once production starts, you know, I don't think you get a party. Maybe it like, reduces because you get fed on set and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So obviously, these are all, I'm not a member of the DGA yet. So, and these are not movies, you know, that are DGA films. I'm, I don't have even my points towards that yet. Although I should look at my last one. I might be working towards that. So your rates, if you're a member and it's a movie like that, is like significantly in a different ballgame. Sure. And of course, also all what you're earning is in relation to the budget of the movie, you know. Right. Uh, I still have a full-time job, so I am not by any means supporting myself solely by directing yet. Right. But, you know, that's the goal. You're working towards that. I don't even know what that would look like. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing, but also probably pretty hard if you have to, you know, especially as a director. I mean, I think, you know, directing TV would have to supplement some significant mm-hmm. portion of that because I think there's still some level of like, it's like an, in some ways directing TV is a little more like a nine to five. Right. You know, you're going and taking someone's vision and making sure like it's carried to the next person undisturbed while still like peppering in some of your own, you know, elements. But directing for directing a feature is you're putting your heart and soul in it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's such a long process. You know, even the 12 day movie started in early October Mm-hmm. And I didn't finish full production. Like I give my do my director's cut, but then I've been I've stuck, stayed on through the whole thing, even though technically I'm done and I just need to go to like final mix. But the direct producers have been kind enough to like let me hang out and uh, you know even during their final cut have let me like interject and like make a case for not doing things. And they've all been very kind that way. And in some cases, like I've taken the movie through post-production because they're off making another movie and they're just like, yeah, go ahead, do your thing, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, cool, all right. I was like, I'm just going to make it a musical, you know? (laughs) Um, But it's been great to learn how to work with folks. This last movie that we did had notes from so many different partners. Like there was Mar Vista, there was Particular Crowd, there was Lionsgate when they came on board. It was like, a, so then you had, you know, so that was also super interesting to be like, 
wow, this is a lot of different opinions now all being filtered in. And then in the middle, they're like, what do you think? I'm like, which one are we talking about? <laughs> is there a residual structure if your movies get replayed again or no? Not for me, not right now. Got it. Not at this moment, yeah. Okay. Maybe in the future? Who knows? Yeah, at this point, I am very much still a working director trying to get my next job and doing that sort of thing. I am mm-hmm. not I am not the the director to be sought after and you know, not I'm not there yet. So once I'm there, yeah, maybe they'll get, they'll do the back end points and all that kind of stuff. But Yeah, I imagine that having once you're in the DGA, that'll probably give you some more negotiating leverage yeah. as well. Yeah. I also don't know what it ha- what happens once you're in the DGA. I mean I know that for some actors and I don't think it's the same, but like once they become fag, they feel like, you know, sometimes the kinds of jobs they get for a while, like until they can get their footing, they find that it's sometimes challenging in the beginning years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the same. I actually know very little about the DGA because <laughs> it's always just like, that's so far away, but you never know that could happen in the next movie, you know, right. fingers crossed. But at this point, I'm just really looking for good scripts that are backed with at least somewhat sufficient money and time and to work with people that are just nice, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Which, which, and I say that a lot, sounds like I'm asking too much. <laughs> it's really the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing all that because I think that's something that isn't talked about enough in this industry and pursuing getting paid to do the thing that we all love doing. That, like, it's not a door opens and suddenly you're making a living and that's how you're paying your bills. I think people don't talk enough about how they're making ends meet while they're really like in the middle of that pursuit and even when they're doing it it's a it's a never-ending hustle I don't think until you're making like I don't know like 60 grand an episode and you do like two episodes a year or something then you're like quitting your day job you know (laughs) and then I don't know doing some other cool stuff but it takes a minute to get there you know mm-hmm. i think obviously getting the having your foot in the door and having people that are supportive of you and are giving you opportunities goes a long long way but i'm nowhere close to supporting myself as a director yet i mean that is actually my next goal right is getting to that point mm-hmm. but i still have to do like you know i i'm hoping to start being able to direct tv like that's the next frontier you know like and that is like the hardest gig to get, you know? Yeah. Like getting a getting into the lab is like one thing. And then once you go through them to be placed in a shadow is another thing. And then from that shadow for that to translate to a TV episode, that's like one in a I don't know what the stats are, but it's brought, feels like one in a million, you know? Sure. And that's you know, that's the hope to move towards that and then still continue. I mean, features will always be my first love. I also really enjoy being thrown into a movie and then pulled out of it when my services are over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so let's talk about that. We've talked a lot about the business, which I've been so appreciative of. So now I want to give you the opportunity to talk craft. So what is your approach to kind of finding your footing on a project that isn't your own? Since obviously you've worked in both projects that are very your own and projects that you sort of get thrown into at the very last minute. Like what it, what is your starting point to say this is mine a little bit now sure i mean the first thing is the script even if the script is not amazing there has to be things in there that i can relate to and that like i read a script recently that was i think everybody except me was really into um and it wasn't a bad script it was well written all of that stuff it was like on paper it was all things 
groovy, but I could not connect to it. Like when I closed the last page, I was like, I cannot pick any of these characters and be like, that's who that is, that's who that is, that's who that is. Like if I can't do that, I can't direct it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there are scripts where there are lots of areas of improvement, but like I get it. Like I am with this person or these people or the story or these challenges, like I'm here. And I think that's extremely like for me with comedy that is like an absolute must Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if the jokes are like if there are some good laughs but if I don't get the motivation of the main character I can't not make it funny right Mm -hmm. like because in comedy there's so much humanity we're laughing at like ah shucks that could be me right and it's awkward and it's weird and you're like ah you're laughing at like you know all that stuff because it's not just like funny 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 like that's there too but like you really have to care about the funnies right you know like all of that has to matter I think then your laughs are bigger and it's more fun and like when I read a script there are times like Christmas is canceled the one that I did the last one I I got the script and I read it and I immediately was like yeah I want to do this one what do I need to do who do I need to talk to? Let's do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, a, a, the setup is super clear. Like you get it. Like you, you're like, yeah, I would be mad if this happened to me. And yes, I can see where the humor is. There's a lot of physical comedy, right? Which I'd never done before. And those kind of movies, they don't make as much movies as physical comedy anymore, right? right and yeah. then of course, like there was the promise of like, you know bigger cast like what is that like you know working with Dermot Mulroney I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) okay let's go talk to him uh but he was wonderful right like and again here's a person who's like who is this person like who who is our director like I don't know who she is she just like walked in here and telling me what to do but getting them on it like Haley Orntier Janelle Paris all these are like really seasoned actors you know who just nailing it Mm -hmm. and really working with them so it's like yeah, you're able to do what's on the page really well, like you're k- k- killing it. So let's get a take of that. But now let's just go have some fun, you know, because you guys, we can have a blast because you all are hilarious. Mm-hmm. So it's stuff like that. It has, it really comes down to the script for me. Like if I can relate to that and I can make it work funny or whatever the case might be, then that's where it starts. I don't know if I'd be able to, I mean, maybe I will. I don't know if the script is terrible, but it's like millions of dollars. I don't know, maybe. Maybe if you throw enough money at something, it's kind of possible. I don't know. Um, I mean, we all know that's not true. But, but you know, that's where it starts is the script for me. And then once I see that, and then, of course, pitching it to the people who are going to sign the checks and be like, are you vibing with my vision of it? Mm-hmm. And what I have found is that when I am excited, it's very obvious. I am very, I'm very animated. I'm like all like I'm in it. And I think people see that and they're like, yeah, OK, she should treat okay, fine, just get out of here. Go make this thing, you know? <laughs> You're jazz, we can tell, you know? Like, they feel comfortable that, like, you care. And that's the thing for me. Like, if I don't care, because I'm going to spend a lot of time, I'm going to leave my husband and my kids for weeks on end, Right. go off to some place and make this thing. Like, it has to matter. Mm-hmm. It has to be something in it has to be a worthwhile experience. Like, am I getting to do something I never got to do before? Is there an action sequence? Is there something here that is exciting me that it's like, I can't wait to get to page 72 or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. and do this crazy thing. And that's, that's really, and how do you make all these things visually pop? Telling the story as visually as possible. Like that's also really exciting. And then collaboration. I love that. So going to the, finding the DP and being like, okay, I feel safe with you, fandom human 
to like open my brain and just like let you in. Okay, now let's go and do this. That's one of my favorite relationships, is you know, is with the DP and all of that. Like it's it's just like kind of goes from there. And those are my happy places in mm-hmm. production, like looking at stills, watching movies, talking films, looking at examples, that kind of stuff. And then the last one was really funny because they were such horror people. So I would suggest all these things and they were just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But our DP, uh, he was such a trooper. But again, you know, bringing that sort of sensibility, they're all pros. They know what they're doing, you know? So it's just fun to like get to know them and, you know, make new friends and all of that. So it really has to be worth it to go through it because it's it's tough, right? It's tough. It's still, it's not anywhere in the ballpark of being financially like viable. Mm-hmm. It's not terrible. The last one was not bad at all, but still a lot of hustling and doing all that stuff. Like if somebody gave me a movie that I like was interested in tomorrow, I'd be like, keep up, I'm going, you know, <laughs> like pack my bags and leave because it's truly the best place ever is being on set. Yeah. So where have you found the balance between like the the part of your job that is like, I have to complete this movie someone else made and made a lot of the decisions on and this is what interests me as a director and as a creative and how can I make it feel a little bit more like my voice if I'm going to be working on it this long? Like where where is that line for you and, and how have you found ways to navigate that so that it does feel a little bit more like, no, this is a this is a me set. This isn't, this isn't yeah. just someone else else's set that I happen to be on especially in a situation where it's like you didn't have a say maybe in the casting and maybe you didn't you came on board and the crew was already there and the DP wasn't your choice maybe like yeah so I haven't had a a, so technically my last movie the DP was already set in place Mm -hmm. and you know I was like okay for me I have no problem bringing people on the ride I think I can convince most people like my sets are happy places I'm not a tyrant um, I'm usually very excited all the time and like super <laughs> jazz, extremely stressed. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, Woo-hoo! I'm like, oh my God, this day, gonna work. this day is never happening. <laughs> I'm not the kind of director that like once I'm done with the actors, like I'm gone. Like I'm in there. I'm like with the deep. I'm like always in the mix. So I think my sets tend to have a sort of quality. Like I really want to bring everybody on the ride. Like I love P- my PAs. Like, you know, I always tell them, like, you got to do everything in your power to get into the eye of the storm. The eye of the storm is like the people around the actors, right? Like, because I tell them what's happening there is infinitely more fun than like hanging out, doing all the things that lets us do what we need to do, which is like making people, making sure people are picked up, making a lot, all that good stuff that they do to keep the set running. Like, I'm like, that's awesome, but you need to get in here. So as much as I can, like bringing them in, making sure that they are participating and get, you know, so I've been lucky enough that all the sets that I've been on are like, positive places because I think that's important it's not that it's it's without difficulty you know there are difficult people you have to know how to like work with them but I think for me how to make a film my own is really in the visuals like there's no other way that I can tell a story except the way that I tell a story uh so if I get it it's going to be my voice you know the visuals are going to be my way the first movie that I did with Mar Vista I got a note from the producer it was 12 days there's not a whole lot I could do about it but they were like they were like, you have a very specific point of view. I was like, uh-huh, uh, yes. That's kind of what you hired me to have. Uh, but they were like, you need more coverage. You know, and I was like, I have 12 days. Like, I cannot cover a scene a million different ways. I just don't have time. You know, and it was like very wordy film because it's a drama. Like, and, you know, they're talking and having feelings. And that was hard, you know. So the next movie, I really, but I take things like that to heart. Like, you know, because I want 
to make sure that we have enough in the edit to be able to tell the best story. But at the same time, I don't want to have so much in the edit that you can change the story, right? Mm -hmm, right. So finding that fine line, like in this last movie, we really covered it because it's a comedy. You have to cover it. You're not going to land the joke, sure. right? Because the joke is not just in the dialogue. It's in someone's off reaction to what's being said, right? So for that, we had to cover the heck out of it. And what I learned from that one was how much you can cut in the post and kind of be okay with it. Like this movie had a, the movie starts with a, with a flashback that is at least 15 minutes long with like younger cast and we cut all of it and it still worked fine, but it was shocking to me that we cut it because it was basically a comedy and it was running too long. So they're like, yeah, those kids, goodbye. And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? And in my head, I was like, but how will anybody understand? And then, you know, I started watching, I showed the people who like who didn't know anything and they're like, yeah, I get it, high school. Shit happens. You know, I was like, really? I'm like, yeah, you get it. I'm, I'm sure, like, I hated Jessica or something like that. And you're like, okay, whatever. And, you know, that's the thing. Audience get it. Like, and the thing with the last movie, you could do it because it was very much within that sort of, like, formula of movie. You know, people get what that story is. You know, it's not, like, brand new information or something. It's just, like, how you get through the journey that is unique and not maybe done the exact same way. So I think, you know, those ways, it helps you. But you just try to find like your way of telling the story. You know, like I also, uh, in the last one, after I read the script and stuff, like I had a conversation with the writer, you know, many conversations, but really like making sure, like, I love my writers. I want to make, because I am one. And I can't imagine what it's like to like give up your words to some psychopath who just like goes to town on it. You know, like, I'm like oh my God, that just shoot feels so awkward. So it's like talking to them and just being like, this is where I'm coming from. And then they're like, she was literally like, just, just go do your thing. It's not required. <laughs> I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, yeah, okay, fine. Calm down. But she was, she's a, she's a WGA writer. So she was on set. She was super like, woo, what's she going to think? But she loved it. She was like, I, I was seeing the model just laughing her ass off. I was like, yeah. So how do you define your visual voice then? The, the way that you uniquely tell a story if you were to talk to someone about like oh this is the way that I do it what how do you define that what is I mean I I don't know I don't know how to say what is you what is unique but my stuff tends to be usually visual like I, I most of the movies like there'll be some set piece in the middle that's like visual and fun um in my first movie there was a dance number in this last one we had like this crazy beer olympics which really mm -hmm. in the script was just a quarter page and I was like Beer Olympics needs to be epic. So we're going to go to town. And nobody knew what we were shooting. They're like, what is happening? It's scheduled for a whole day. And I was like, yeah, because we're going to go nuts. Um, <laughs> so everyone's like, okay, what's next? Where do we move? Where's the camera? And we were like, this is what we're doing. And it was, and we had to shoot it over two separate weeks because we had Dermot only for half the time. So we shot all his coverage mm. first. Mm. And then we had to shoot all the other stuff the next week. So people were like, wait, we're back in Beer Olympics. I was like, yep, Beer Olympics. Here we go. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it turned out fine. It's really fun. I like to do stuff like that, like something that pops and is fun and visual. My writing professor from Chapman watched, uh, he's watched my stuff. Uh, he's awesome. He's one of my favorite teachers. And he sent me a note on Facebook. He's like, I just saw your movie. And he's like, and I was like, he, I was like, I'm going to quote you sometime. He's like, you have a, what did he say? You have a real skill for making weird things pop. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. That's a cool. <laughs> that's a yeah. That's a great slug line. Yeah, yeah. Like I make weird things pop. Uh, but yeah, I like to make it fun and visual. I think as much as I can get into the characters' heads and see, show the audience how they're seeing things. 
mm-hmm. think is always far more interesting to me than just like saying things. So yeah, visual stuff I would say is where, but I don't know, it's so general. I don't know how to explain it because I'm sure everybody makes there's be as visual as possible. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I know a lot of writers who become directors and you can always tell if somebody was a director first or not because director first tend to have something that's more than just what was literally on the page whereas the writers are just like, as long as they say the dialogue right, it could be a blank white wall. We could be yeah. in a void. <laughs> and I'm guilty of that, certainly myself. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that we learned, you know, in our directing classes was, you know, obviously show, don't tell, which I take, sure. have taken to heart. And I try to show always more than tell as much as possible. Because I think it allows the audience to connect more with like where they're coming from, more empathy and stuff. So that's, I would say, if there is a style I'm going for that might be it. Do you have the ability to make changes to the scripts that you're being brought on to direct? Like if you're like, ooh, I think we could show this rather than having the character say this line. Like, do you have the freedom to make that call? Do you have to get approved? 100%. Oh, great. 100%. Uh, that's been really great. Both the films that I've done for Mar Vista, they gave me a pass. And uh, obviously the second one, because it was WGA, I could not make the changes directly until we were at the time we were shooting mm. so I had to work with Sarah and she was very receptive and obviously I told her like where I think the changes should be and then she did the Sarah version of it which was infinitely God. better um, <laughs> or I was like you know I really don't think this is working and she would come up with some crazy idea and I was like yeah great that's awesome but obviously you know closer to the shoot I uh, I we we had to do some things because we just didn't have we, have a, we had a car scene that essentially had to do some heavy lifting in the plot and we didn't have it anymore because it rained and we ran out of days with Dermot and we couldn't do it you know and I was like okay that's not happening so now we had to figure out a way to make that that scene was important in the plot and had to exist so I basically had to write something on the fly and when she was there like I gave her all the scenes that I rewrote of the dialogue all in one file and I was like give you know bless it and she was like yeah this is all great and I was like Sarah what okay awesome thank you <laughs> she was just like whatever she was super chill by the end of it she always was chill I mean it was not like there was ever a point where she wasn't but on set I was actually nervous when I rewrote stuff I was like she's gonna hate it and she was actually super kind and gracious and was like whatever had she been through that before maybe like is this not her first rodeo she probably has and we try to be sure. as respectful like we weren't just like writing rewriting her script we would right. never do that the mm-hmm. only times we had to do it is when it was a crunch time and we couldn't shoot in that location and sure. it had to still work or something we maybe did some joke punching up and stuff so you know did that kind of a pass uh trim some stuff the script was a little long we cut some pages and rearrange some things but I would say everything was done for the film but I've been yeah both the films you know one of the things I do ask is like hey can I do a pass and they've never been like hell hell no uh absolutely not and that's cool you know because it helps again a way to get your voice in. totally and I'm not big on like going and rewriting things like if I hated it to that point like I'm not even getting on the project mm. it's just that you know there might be some lines of dialogue that doesn't sound right or you know, maybe that's a character who's just like right now just being like throwaway and I think can be used better. So let's give them a little bit more depth, you know, that kind of stuff. So they're not just like, oh, just, you know, lesbian friends. Right. They're just here to answer calls. Like, no, maybe they can actually come in to be like the voice of reason and really have like an impact on the film and, and stuff like that. Great. That's cool. Great. 
Yeah, a lot of our questions you're kind of like answering as yeah, we you ask you other questions. So very <laughs> helpful. Um, do you have like any specific advice for directors who are trying to make that transition from indie to for hire, whether that be like in the interview pitching process or actually on set? Do you have any specific advice? Like what's one tip that you think will really help people? I mean, I think, you know, obviously make your first feature. I think that goes a long way. And then I think obviously networking goes a long way. I'm terrible at it. So I don't know. Um, (laughs) I honestly got in some ways like meeting Hannah, like she's just such an awesome person. And we just got along as friends and we didn't cross that line of like, let's work together ever, ever. It wasn't until the movie went there that I even like dared tell her. How did you meet her originally? Did you go to school together or? No. So she, so her husband works with us at New York Film Academy. Oh. And we got along with him. My my husband and I, like, we love Mike. He's awesome. And then he invited us over to have dinner and I met his wife. And I was like, Mike, you're great, but your wife, even better. Like, she's <laughs> awesome, you know? At that time, she didn't even work at Marvel mm-hmm. So, you know, I've seen her grow and just always just been like, awesome. This is like, you know, just a really good friend. And then our kids, we ended up having kids around the same age and then they became really good friends. And then during the pandemic, is when we really hung out a lot. We didn't see each other a whole bunch before. Like we occasionally here and there, like dinner once in a while. But when the pandemic happened, the only place we could go to was the beach and she would bring the twins and then uh, Cyrus and us would go. Cause it was the only outdoor place to hang out. And you know, the kids were losing it without any social connection. And that's when we started like really like broaching these subjects. So my advice would be find a Hannah <laughs> put yourself in a position to meet people just yeah. to know yeah. them and care about them and then you never yeah. know who's going to end up at yeah. Vista. yeah I mean I think no matter what like I think you know I, I, I'm not in any position to do a lot for anybody but I hope I will be someday where I can help people in a meaningful way and I would love to to be in that position but there's a lot of people who will reach out to me now and be like and there's the people who will reach out to me in a way where I'm like, yeah, I want to help you. Like, I don't know you at all, but you have asked me in a way that makes me feel like I don't mind giving you 10, 15, 30 minutes of my time. And then there's people who, even some who I know who will ask me in a way where I'm just like, you need to work on the skill, you know, like, come on, is this really how you're going to come at me with this question? Like, mm-hmm. as, knowing how to ask is also a skill. Can you give an example of that? I mean, there are people who would list email me and be like, hey, I met you here, or I saw you speak here, or I watched this. Here's my script. Can you give me notes? I'm like, <laughs> huh? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, I can't do that. I don't have time. Like, I really cannot just read your script and give you notes. I'm sorry, but I hope you... I, I'm like, I wish you well. Peace. Or there are people who will be like, you've made three features. How do I do that? Tell me. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> okay mm, where do i start well sure now you so. can just send them the link to the podcast episode <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's also just the way you it's, i'm just like i feel so like am i supposed to just pick up the phone and like talk to you now like i don't know mm-hmm. who you are or i've met yeah. you once or there was once a guy who indian and he was just mad at me that i wouldn't meet him for a coffee and talk about a script I was just like, I don't know you. I cannot meet a random stranger and talk to you about your script. <laughs> like, what do you think? You can't talk to me? Who do you think you are? And I'm like, sir, I don't know who you are. So I'm <laughs> like, okay, like, a literal stranger. What are you talking yeah, like, about? I don't know if you know about the world. It's a dangerous place. 
And I can't just show up to some random coffee house to meet you. I actually don't even think it was a coffee house. It was some random. I was like, please don't be mad at me. But no, block, you know. Yeah. I mean, and no one's entitled to your time, even so. Yeah, and it's not like I'm some big shot and I don't have time for you. But I really, really feel like it's how you ask, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. you're, I, I want to help. I'm 100% down to doing it. But it's how you ask. Don't ask me like I've already made a mistake by not helping you, You're right? This isn't a negotiation. They should be trying yeah. to manipulate you into helping them. Yeah, and it's and it's not even like, oh, there'll be people like, you know, read my script and I, I just watched your movie. Like, those two things are not really correlated. If you don't have to do anything <laughs> for me, you know, like, I don't need that. Like, I'm happy to do it. And there are lots of people who I read this script or I'll talk to them or I'll send them emails, whatever they need. But it's always just interesting. So I think that's a really important skill also is no when to ask and who to ask because if you're if you've made your first feature you have a better shot at reaching out to somebody who might be able to at least put you in the right path of going forward but if you haven't sometimes just with shorts I don't know I feel like lots of these execs don't know what to do with that they're like cool that's awesome this is really funny or interesting but they're like but can you tell a story can you handle a budget can you handle a crew can you handle days can you handle the pressure and it's like Yes, you can. Obviously, I've made like 12 shorts, but somehow like I feel like that the ability to like string those things together doesn't always seem to happen. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. but this person made 12 shorts. You know how hard that mm-hmm. is? Like, yeah, but, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And it's just like, come on, guys, that stuff is really hard. It's like, what does it take to make 12 shorts? A heck of a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. In my limited experience helping festivals uh, and stuff like that recommend indie people to talk to industry, what I have learned is that industry people tend to not be very creative about like looking at something and seeing its potential versus looking at something and thinking, can I literally put this on TV right now? And I think the same sounds like it's true for length of project where they're like, well, you've only made something 12 minutes long. How do I know I can trust you with 30 minutes? Well, I have three 12 minute things. Yeah, but they're 12 minutes. Like there, there seems like you have to basically spoon feed them exactly what they're looking for, or it's hard to get them to like branch out. 100%. (laughs) Even like when I'm like, you know, hey guys, I want to direct horror or thriller. Like, and they're like, no comedy, more comedy. (laughs) And I'm like, 100% comedy all the time. But I'm like, I can do a thriller. I love horror films. And they're like, Mm-hmm. we don't want to be the ones that give you that chance. Why don't you go do it on your own time? And it's like, okay. <laughs> well, okay. So, to, so final question then, which is specifically a question to make sure that eventually Christina gets to be interviewed in this capacity because she deserves <laughs> it. And I can't wait to see it. You mentioned earlier that you've had a lot of experience in like generals and putting together pitch decks and things like that. So like, what are some concrete things that like maybe have surprised you or that you've learned over the process of doing all these pitches and generals that tend to like get you started on the right foot? when you're meeting a new person? So the things that I learned about myself, one in both generals and in pitches is that I actually, I'm not, I'm not really good at like meeting new people. It's not really my, but weirdly enough, like I, I'm until the meeting is about to happen. I'm like, I just need to cancel this. Like what is, is, <laughs> is there a tsunami? What's happening? Something's got to happen. Right. But then it happens and I'm just fine. Like, it's something that takes over me and it's like word salad, something comes out and they're laughing, it's over. And I'm like, oh, that was not that terrible. So that's been a surprise that I can actually keep people's attention for like an hour or 45 minutes or whatever. If whatever you time let yourself be in the position. 
instead of canceling. Yeah. I have actually never canceled, although I've, in the beginning, I used to really be like, I cannot do this. Like, you could ask my husband, I'd be like, the day is coming, I'm like sweating, you know, and I'm like, how is this, what am I going to say? Um, I'm not that nervous about generals anymore because they're just human beings and they just want to get to know you. It's like being on a weird date. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you talk creative stuff, totally fine. I was like, why am I scared about this? This is super fine. And especially now that you don't have to drive to meet anybody and it's all on Zoom, it's even better. Like the driving in LA and parking and like sweating and hoofing it up some building or whatever, that was the worst. And you wait there and everyone's just judging you. They're like, oh, I'm like, oh, this is the worst, you know? But now it's like, I just have to like turn on my computer and I'm like half decently dressed and like wearing sweats and it's totally cool. And they have their kid like screaming in the background. It's like very, you know, human equalizer. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's totally fine. But the thing with uh, making pitch decks is I learned that I can figure out how to use Canva, which I was like, what is this? This is so scary. And I think what it really helped me, and I'm not going to say that I love doing these because they take up so much time for me to make a pitch deck, but I really learned how I can get my visual ideas in their brain and be like, this is where I'm going with it. And I think it helps a lot instead of just like talking in like abstract things, Mm -hmm. um, which I think has been really helpful. And I've had to pitch things where like I'm, one of the last three directors and they were going to decide between one of you so I had to do actual pitch decks and like pitch for 30 minutes in front of all these execs and it's like oh my god this is scary so is it like screenshots of comps is it like you shoot something is it photography like can you give an example of, of what it means to yeah, put it in their so brain typi- yeah so typically it's a uh it's a presentation mm-hmm. um I now started doing like I've learned how to put videos in and stuff like I learn with each one like I get better uh there are like gifts and all this earlier was more like images and text and stuff so I've gotten better at mine you know they're not like extremely wordy now and stuff uh, but usually there's a director statement, there's a vision, there is a description of what I think the characters are, not just like what's in the paper, what I want them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, then some ideas of casting, then I'll do like, what is my aesthetic uh, color palette? What are some uh, visual comps? Not just movie, but like, like these are kind of like visual comps. I'll do like a collage of that. Then I'll do some casting ideas of who I think might be good choices for each of like the top like five or six, depending on what kind of movie it is, but like, you know, the top five or six characters, I'll do location ideas, like what I think the ideal locations would look like. What are some other things I do? If it's like a sequel, which I've also done, then I've had to talk about character arcs, where they started in the previous movie, where they are now, what has changed, stuff like that. You know, it's usually like, like you know, 20, 30 pages long, very visual. I, I actually, I have a question about casting because that's something I'm working on a pitch deck right now and we have to kind of use comps for casting pages. Yeah. And I never know what to do with that. I'm also just not like, I. if somebody is good, I will just be like, yes, you're hired. I had no preconceived notions about you other than can you say the words? Perfect. So are you like genuinely recommending cast? Are you strategically saying, look at these five famous, handsome people that I think we could hire for this? Like, what is your casting strategy? Or do you have like a, no, this is the performer for this role and also for other people? So it's somewhere between the two, but mostly what I'm trying to do is I'm going, I'm always suggesting diversity in places where it's not written as a diverse role, just to open their mind to think of this character who is, probably on the page written as like a white person be like yeah this person could be any other you know race and it would work just as fine and like throwing that in to for that for them to be like oh yeah you know because pretty much all the studios now have a diversity mandate but 
they're still not putting them in the lead roles in these kind of sort of movies, right? They're like- The default's still white. Yeah, they're the best friend or whatever. But it's like, this is like my my signature move. I'm always, it's always like all my cast will have a whole range of races in there for each character. Because I think, because it depends on like, if you go with this actor kind of person for the lead, then this could be the mother, this could be the dad, this could be the grandpa, you know, like that kind of thing to show them like, here are all these amazing actors that you, your brain doesn't automatically probably go there, no judgment. But mm-hmm. hey, look, they could be awesome and funny and cool and interesting and all these things. So that's like generally my go-to with casting. It's like, there'll always be the obvious choice, right? Like you read this and you're like, yeah, this is the it actor right now in this age group who's not blown up to the point that she's unaffordable, but is a good actor, is like in all the interesting things, maybe has only been, never really been the lead yet, that sort of thing, but could really step up and would be interested in doing a project like this, right? That would be one person. And then same sort of applying that same concept, but looking at all our amazing diverse pool of actors out there and being like, okay, look at this person, this person would be amazing. And I think that's always been well received. I don't know if maybe everybody's doing that, but like that's always been my thing. So I always jam pack my casting suggestions because even if they don't do it with me, like I want to have at least left that thought in their mind, you know, and be like, oh yeah, we didn't think of that person, but that could have been interesting. The other thing that I also include in my decks are music. Oh, interesting. I love music. I write with music for each film. Like I will create a playlist. Even as director, like I create a playlist because that's what I send to the editor for temp music until we can like find uh, a composer or whatever we end up doing with the film. So I also put music in there because I think music also really gets to the heart of like the tone of the film quickly for people who basically anything I can do to help executives see the movie through my eyes in the quickest possible way as possible. And they need visuals. They need, you know, what makes financial sense anything that can be sound music and they can like see the film that's what they go for you know so i so i spent a lot of time like scouring the internet for images and all that kind of stuff and then fussing with like the layout and all that sure. so that it's not overwhelming or it's not too much and it's like really the right balance you know and all that kind of stuff i don't know just stuff like that and i have a lot of fun doing them you know yeah, yeah. that sounds fun yeah, it helps me because then to get the movie, you just like turn that over to your team and be like, so this is what I did six months ago. So how do we make this better? <laughs> yeah. Where are we today? And I think that's also been helpful. And even in movies where I've ha- I've been hired, but I didn't pitch in this particular way. I've done boards after I've worked with the production designer because in the last one, I had to pitch to a particular crowd and Marvista. Once I got hired on the project, what my vision was, for wardrobe, for production design, visual design, all of that. So we had to create presentations and pitch to them so that they felt like we were on the same page. Sure. So that was also really a different way of going about it. But then I was doing it as a team, right? So I would like tee it up and then these guys would come and like knock it out of the park. And then we would all be like, teamwork! (laughs) For your director's statement, what do you tend to focus on that seems to be successful? Because I know personal statements are the bane of most artists. It's like, how do I distill into a paragraph? Oh, I hate personal statements. Yeah. I'm terrible at personal statements, also because they want you to tell your entire life story in like 37 words. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what what do I tell you? (laughs) I can't tell you anything, but okay. And I'm also very wordy, as you can tell. I haven't let you guys talk at all. (laughs) 
but and I apologize. We're both for that. the same. No, way. Yeah, don't worry. We have the, people hear us plenty. This is not yeah. why they listen to this episode. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> so y'all. what is given that? Because yes, yeah. I think all three of us are, are mouthy broads who have lots of things to say. <laughs> what de- what tends to be your entry point for those sorts of like really concise yeah. statements of purpose? Director statements for me is always what connected me to the script. Okay. If it is the problem of the main character, how does that? How do I relate to that problem? You know, I'm okay. not always like a hot twenty-something-year-old finding my way in the world. Sure, but I was a less hot twenty-something-year-old sometime, right? And I try to like channel <laughs> that and be like, "What does that feel like? And how can I bring that angst and pain and guts and glory into telling this girl's story? You know, and what is mm-hmm. how do I relate to her trials and tribulations, and how can what did it make me feel, and why do I want her to succeed, or what do I want her to learn?" That's really where I go with it because okay. I feel like that's for me personally, like that's the story I want to tell, right? Is that that's the hook that connects me to this person. It's always the main character, always, right? And, you know, you want to find an inroad to making them feel as like human as possible, even if maybe they're shitty or whatever. And what is that? That's That's what I like. And like, that's what I relate to. And that's what I want to make this film heart. I love that. I try to explain that to the people who read it. So it's almost like you're you're associating yourself with the the lead character so that when they think of them, they're also thinking, oh, yeah. And, and that, that director made a, a point to connect it to her life. And so it's almost like, well, now it's one in the same. They can't not hire. Yeah. Her. Yeah. And I mean, for me, if I can't relate to it, it's not it's not me by any means. Not any, like, at all. It's not me. But if I can't relate to it, I cannot tell that story. Right. It's hard for me to tell a story about a person that I have no connection to. It's like that I'm just directing some words on a page. Mm-hmm. And that's not why you decided to be a director. No. And for me, <laughs> yeah. And I really want to find an inroad into the person because then I can, my goal is to then I can understand what is the fundamental problem here in, the, in their life. And how, what is the journey to fix it? You know, like how are we going to get better or worse? I don't know, but we're going to go on a journey and it's going to happen. And for me, I feel like, and I, and I know a lot of directors don't do this and sometimes it's not advisable, but I'm also very honest when I work with my direct, my actors, I share things of my personal life. I'm not just like, mm, tell me everything, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm not that person. Like I want them to feel safe that I am in it with you. Like, I'm going to tell you some scars of my life in high school and dating and how garbage that was. Like, you know, maybe there's something there that you connect to. And then now we can connect as human beings because I'm asking you to share something about of you as a human for me. Mm-hmm. And I want you to feel that I am giving you something back. Right. And it's not like, Oh, I'll tell you something. And you it's not like that. You know, it's like, I am opening myself to be like, this is a safe space. I'm going to share things so that I can explain to you as the actor why I connect with your character, why I feel your character is doing this or this and not that, right? I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, and that they can also arrive conclusions, right? Like, because with like directing and directing in a short time, I block the scenes ever before I talk to the actors, right? I already know what the blocking is because I know my location. I know how it's going to be. I've already done my shot list with my... DP, but at the same time, I will never on set tell my actor, I want you to go from there, there, and then there. Like, I'm not going to tell them that. Like, 
Mm-hmm. I basically I'm like, how do I incept my actor that they eventually <laughs> find themselves from there and end up here, right? Like, mm-hmm. what can I do in this space during rehearsal or during my excessive yammering that convinces them that the right thing for you to do is to go from there, pick that up, and go here? You're gonna come up on that on your own. I'm just gonna like incept it in your brain now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you have the same motivations in mind, that hopefully is is not as hard of a uphill battle as yeah, I think a lot of people find. Yeah, and sometimes they'll do something that is totally different and it'll surprise me, and then I have to go and like tell the DP is like, you remember that thing that you did where you spent six hours rigging that light? That's not going to be there. It's just not going to be there. He'd be like, what? I'm like, you just watch it. You're going to get it. And you're going to be like, yeah, that's better. And they'll watch him like, oh, okay. And I'm like, and it's like, you know, and they'll just be like, don't do it again. And I'm like, it's going to happen, buddy. Um, but you have to be flexible and open. And sometimes it's hard and they hate you. But, you know, when they see it, they're like, okay, you get it. I have to feel... It has to feel organic. It has to feel like it makes sense. That's sort of my way of approaching all of that stuff. Yeah, this has been so helpful. Thank you for sharing so much of that information. We really appreciate your your vulnerability, your your transparency, and how much you talk. It has been lovely. I I love being able to just pass it over to you. And you're knew we were in good hands instantly. Yeah, Uh and our listeners will really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. And yeah, if you know, if anybody has any questions, they can reach out to me and I'm happy to like answer it or anything. But yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. And it's cool to connect with Christina since our, you know, movie and like, you know, yeah. on Insta- in uh, what is it? Twitter and stuff. And it's great to finally meet you as well, Bree. So thank you. Yeah, you too. It's been really fun. Before we completely wrap up, where can people watch your films? Great. Uh, so uh, Miseducation of Bindu and the last one, The Christmas is Cancelled, is on Amazon Prime. And I think Bindu is on all things. You can, uh, it's also on TV if you have cable still. It still plays on Fuse and it's super fascinating to like be switching channels and your movie and you're like what um and it'll still be on tv i think until the end of this month or next month but it's available everywhere itunes wherever you get stuff and then uh christmas cancel is only on amazon prime and i don't think the lifetime movie you can see unless you have the app anymore it premiered on tv Okay. And then I have no idea where how to wa- how to tell people to watch that after that. I think it's the app, and I, I think as long as you have it with your, because I my mom and I downloaded the Lifetime channel for Christmas because we're <laughs> that kind of family. Um, yeah. and you do have to have like like we have Dish, and so you have to have a provider that offers it. But yeah. the actual app itself is free. So if any of you have that, if your parents have that, then get yeah. On. If you ever want, if you want to see a medical drama about uh with a lot of tears uh that may or may not have a happy ending check it out it's called fighting for her family and it's on uh possibly the lifetime app (laughs) i think so they have a pretty big library it would be wild if they just didn't have that one so yeah seek and you shall find everyone Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them and our guest are in our episode description. 
And thank you to our booby VIPs who are our $10 supporters on Patreon, including Kim Garland, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kelsey Rauber, Norman Steinberg, Jerry Maravia, and Brandy Nicole Payne. If you want your name on that list and or to have access to our bonus resources related to each and every episode, you can subscribe for as little as $3 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Or join our free newsletter where we share a new creative prompt each month. And next episode, we'll be discussing staffing for TV from outside of LA with special guest Kira Jones. Be sure to tune in. <laughs>